Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fan boy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we're going to be covering The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss. The Dementor's Kiss sounds all sorts of horrible. Why stop there? Why not call this chapter the kiss from the dry putrefied lips of doom or something it's gross terrifying (laughs) and although the title for this chapter is a bit foreboding it is the shortest chapter in the whole book so this might be a short episode as we left off crookshanks was leading this oddball group back to hogwarts so they could turn peter pettigrew in and prove sirius's innocence I imagine Sirius is very excited at this moment, so excited that he tells Harry that he's Harry's godfather and invites Harry to live with him. I don't know if you know, Harry, but when you were born, James and Lily made me your godfather. I know. But I can understand if you choose to stay with your aunt and uncle. But if you ever wanted a different home... What? Come and live with you? That's just a thought I can understand if you don't want to. They're both extremely happy at the prospect of this and are walking around with these like permagrins and they're just happy and bouncing. Can you discuss the emotion they're experiencing here and how joy can affect us physically? I think in addition to joy, which you just mentioned, I think they're also feeling love. Both of them lost people that they really loved and cared about. James and Lily. They were Harry's parents, and to Sirius, they were his chosen family. His own family rejected him for not siding with Voldemort. And so for both of them now, being able to connect with one another, they're finding a chosen family. They're finding love. For so many individuals who never found love and support within their own family systems like Sirius or for individuals whose loved ones have passed away like Harry 
finding a chosen family can be a life-changing experience. And chosen family members don't have to be related to us. Mm -hmm. These could be our friends, our godparents, our neighbors, our coaches, anyone that allows us to learn about ourselves, that cares about us unconditionally, that shows up for us in times of trouble. And for Harry, who'd been abused most of his life by the Dursleys, and for Sirius, who spent... 12 years in Azkaban, having no family and no loved ones, the two of them now connecting like this, I think is incredibly meaningful. So I think in addition to joy, they're feeling love and connection and the kind of bliss you can't really put into words, the kind that makes our eyes tear, the kind that makes, you know, our hearts sing in a lot of ways, creating those chemicals that we talk a lot about, oxytocin and endorphins. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really meaningful experience for the both of them. Yeah. I imagine there's a redemption aspect to this, too, as far as Sirius goes, because now he can take care of Harry and kind of undo his wrong in, in a way, right? Well, Sirius never did anything wrong to begin with. But his perceived wrong, I should say. Sure. Their happiness in this moment was the calm before the storm, really, because not long after Harry agrees to live with Sirius, Lupin starts changing into a werewolf. He didn't get his Wolfbane's potion for the night. Everyone is in danger. Sirius tells everyone to run and turns into his dog form. He starts fighting the fully transformed Lupin and tries to protect the group and becomes a hero. There's so much heroism in this book. And what I like about this moment is that Sirius is truly nothing like the way he was depicted throughout the whole book. This is who he really is. He's a hero. To Lupin, to Harry. He was a hero to those he cares about and a villain to those he didn't care about. Like Snape. Yes. In other words, he's kind of like this reluctant hero or unlikely hero. And whether it's Han Solo or Sirius Black, I love unlikely heroes. Sirius gets seriously injured from his fight with the were-lupin. He ends up turning back into a man. He's bleeding and pale and looking like he could possibly die. To make matters worse, Harry and Sirius are suddenly engulfed by Dementors. A moment that was so happy moments before is now full of dread, fear, and sadness. This could be a very jarring situation, snapping from one emotion to another. What are the psychological effects of emotion jumping or emotional shape-shifting like a werewolf? I think for so many individuals, it's exhausting, understandably so, if we're feeling joy and then immediately, moments later, we're feeling horror and devastation. All of these emotions on their own can already zap a lot of our energy. Yes, even joy can zap our energy sometimes. It can both rebuild energy and also zap our energy. When we are emotion shifting like that because of, let's say, situational events or for other reasons, it can not only deplete us, but it can make it more challenging for us to use our inner resources and our skills. Mm -hmm. Since I mentioned emotional shape-shifting, I couldn't help but think about some people whose emotions transform like this. And this could yet be another possible reflection to werewolves and Lupin's condition. I don't know much about borderline personality disorder, but I imagine that someone with BPD could really relate here. Can you explain BPD and the transformation that occurs in them? Sure. Unfortunately, to this day, 
borderline personality disorder is a disorder that's highly stigmatized and it's heartbreaking that a lot of individuals who are already suffering from the ramifications of this disorder and the trauma that they endured are often also stigmatized by either medical professionals or individuals in their life who might not fully understand what this is. Just to briefly describe it, borderline personality disorder is when an individual cycles quickly from one emotion to another. They might be joyful in one moment. They might be really angry in another. And the way that some individuals describe it is that it's an event that might seem small to some people feels like a third degree burn to someone else. Majority of time, individuals with BPD, borderline personality disorder, have experienced many years of abuse, often emotional and sexual and physical. And some believe BPD to be an extreme form of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, where the body is always in such high alert that individuals have a really difficult time managing their emotions. And therefore, something that, again, might irritate one person can enrage someone with BPD because they might see everything as a threat. And so individuals with BPD, in some cases, might have difficult time maintaining relationships, kind of moving from one relationship to another or moving from one job to another. Some individuals with BPD might be more impulsive. Some might use substances. And a lot of individuals with BPD might not have those symptoms, but might experience those emotions very strongly within the body. A lot of times, because there's so much suffering, internal suffering in individuals with BPD, they might turn on themselves, often self-harming or attempting suicide. I'm glad you brought this up because I think there's so many misconceptions about this disorder, but more than anything else, BPD is the individual's struggle with coping with the tremendous amount of inner suffering that they're going through usually years of unprocessed trauma, where the individual simply doesn't know how else to manage the excruciating pain that they're in. And so they might either rage out on other people or more often they might harm themselves. Individuals who threaten suicide, uh, individuals who say that they're going to kill themselves are not looking for attention. They're looking for help. They're looking for empathy. They're looking for support. And the worst thing anyone can do is to shame somebody who is saying that they're feeling suicidal. The best thing people can do is to be kind and to get help for that person. I can see how you might make that jump here in terms of emotion shape-shifting that happens in individuals with a lot of difficulty, whether we're talking about individuals with BPD, whether we're talking about individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder, individuals with depression, substance use, eating disorders, etc. I think any individuals that have experienced trauma and don't currently feel like they have adequate support are likely to go through this kind of emotional shape-shifting. It sounds like a difficult situation. Brutal. And yeah, I I definitely feel some sympathy there. In this moment, when they're surrounded by all these Dementors and all this negativity is just crashing down on them, Harry tries to find his happy place and cast his Patronus. 
He recalls how he felt when he found out that Sirius was innocent and he was going to be moving away from the Dursleys to live with him. Based on the joy they both felt in this moment, this seems like a very happy thought. But Harry cannot make a Patronus from this memory. Why do you think such a happy memory was so ineffective in this situation? So I don't know for sure, and I'd love to know kind of what the author might have been envisioning here. So, but I don't want to assume that I know what she was thinking. But just from a neuroscience perspective, memories take time to consolidate. When we just experience something, it takes time for that short-term memory to be converted into long-term memory, almost like our mind needs to take some time to save that file. You can kind of like download it. Download it, save it, exactly, and also organize it, store it, tag it, right, organize it. And so that's why individuals with certain types of memory disorders and certain types of dementia might remember events that happened long ago, but might have a difficult time remembering things that have happened recently, because that conversion doesn't work. It's the short term to long term memory conversion doesn't work. So like the download system Mm -hmm. doesn't work as well. I think that it's possible that given the recency of this experience, how recently it happened, Harry maybe didn't quite have a chance to fully experience it, to fully store it to the point where he could access it the way that he does some of his other memories, such as the memories of the essence of his parents. Mm. So just as you think the situation can't get any worse, Harry witnesses Sirius basically dying in front of him. A Dementor sucks out Sirius's soul right in front of him and he also sees Hermione faint to the floor due to this overwhelming sadness and Harry is just left all alone which is devastating to him essentially his Patronus flickers out and all happiness is gone in this moment Harry faints and everything starts to fade to black and just like this chapter ending on this note This podcast will start fading away right now, and we are very thankful that you listened to this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Van Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag HarryPotterTherapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay kind out there, everybody. Stay magical and take care. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, 
diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.